Hello lacrosse friends and welcome to Box La Beat. I'm your host Steven Stamp. I'm very excited to be back with you on the show. We had a bit of a hiatus induced by the pandemic, but I am back. The show is back. We are on Lacrosse Link. Very excited to be part of the Lacrosse Link family, bringing you lots of coverage of everything across the spectrum of lacrosse, men, women, field, box, international, all over the place. We are looking at lacrosse in all its forms and Beat proud to be part of the Lacrosse Link network. Today, when we launch the show, I will talk with Dan Carey. He's the GM of the Rochester Nighthawks, but in this case, he's speaking about the Upstate Collegiate Box Lacrosse League, which the Nighthawks and the Buffalo Bandits have been working together to introduce. It is launching, and it is a very exciting development in the game. I open the show, though, with a discussion of the new class for 2021 of the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. It's a great class. Haven't had one for five years, so there were a lot of very strong candidates. Difficult decisions, but very exciting to have the Hall of Fame running once again. So we'll start with that, then we'll talk to Dan Carey here on Box Le Beat. <laughs> The National Lacrosse League last week announced its first Hall of Fame class since 2016. It's very exciting to get things going again for the Hall of Fame. And there were 20 great nominees, very difficult decisions. The 10 men who enter the Hall for 2021, John Grant Jr., Colin Doyle, Sean Williams, Casey Powell, Kevin Finneran, Reggie Thorpe, Pat McCready, Steve Toll, Roy Condon and Bill Fox, the last two being referees. It was a very difficult process to select which of these tremendous nominees should be included. And I'll tell you, if it was the other 10 who didn't wind up being elected this year, that would be a very strong Hall of Fame class. But a brilliant class this year of 10 nominees. And when you look at it and try and break down, you know, how did it work out? On the offensive side, in some ways, it's pretty easy. Look at the top 10 career scoring leaders in National Cross League history. Four are active. Three are already in the Hall of Fame from previous year's elections. The other three were elected this year. So there really wasn't a whole lot of question about the candidacy, candidacy of John Grant Jr. and Colin Doyle for sure, as they are second and fourth all-time among the scoring leaders. And Sean Williams, who is eighth, among those leading scorers in league history, also a very strong candidate. Those three almost surely would have been the inductees for the 2017 class if there had been one that year, and the league had stuck with the maximum of three per year that was in place at the time. The other two, two Casey Powell and Kevin Finner, going in this year, would have gone in under the veterans category. Uh, the criteria for that were you had to have been on the ballot for two years previously but weren't elected. They're the only ones, the only nominees who fit that criteria. So Powell and Finneran, both very strong candidates as well. I think Casey Powell, I mean, he won an MVP. He was a dominant offensive presence. He also had an it factor. He's just one of the huge names in lacrosse. He was a great NLL player. And you think Casey Powell, you just think greatness, and you think Hall of Fame. Kevin Finneran, now his statistics 
don't really measure up with a lot of the players since him. He's been leapfrogged by those players. But keep in mind, it's not just about total scoring for a player like Finneran because he did play in the era of shorter seasons. He scored 3.94 points per game in regular season, uh, which is right up there, very competitive with other Hall of Fame members. He was also a trailblazer as an American player when the league was heavily Canadian, and he was one of the best players in the game regardless of country of origin for many years. You could argue Finneran's merits relative to the other offensive nominees who didn't get elected this year, which was Mark Stainhouse, Micah Kersey, and Jake Berge, but I would say probably the most common reason people would have been surprised by him being elected this year, if they just saw the announcement of the elections without the, the nominees first, is they probably thought he'd gone into the Hall of Fame a decade or so ago, which, you know, maybe that should have happened. I mean, every year people were voting and it was a, always a tough challenge to get elected into the Hall of Fame, but I think a lot of people would have thought that Finneran would have been in quite a while ago. Now, if you're wondering where Mark Stainhouse stands on the career scoring list that I mentioned earlier, he's the next one. He sits at number 11 on the career scoring list, just outside of the, the group that we were talking about. Now, on defense, I wouldn't have been too surprised to hear any of the nominees, almost any of the nominees elected. Uh, I think you look at a couple of guys ran up again with longevity as an issue. Brian Volker only played seven seasons. So that makes it a tough case against others who are also great players and played much longer, maintained a high level of play for a long time. Glenn Clark also just played nine seasons, uh, one of only two players along with Volker to play less than ten. He was excellent, won a lot of titles. I think longevity probably an issue there. So you can kind of understand with those two. Um, everyone else played at least eleven seasons at a very high level. Interesting case from this perspective is Ryan Cousins. He played 11 seasons, but his last three were all partial seasons. He played 7, 7, and 10 games in those years. And I think that could be a factor. That he just didn't play the same number of games. He didn't play as long as a lot of the other defenders who were nominees and certainly the guys who were elected. He was truly outstanding in his prime. The first to win Defender of the Year twice and a dominant defender and, and contributing transition. He feels to me like a Hall of Famer, but I totally get the argument why people would say it doesn't necessarily, in this class with so many great nominees, why he may not have gotten through. The guys who did get in, Reggie Thorpe, he's a name that comes up in almost every conversation I have with people who really know the league when it comes to the best and the toughest defenders who played. Um, you look at the others, Steve Toll and Pat McCready. Now, in any Hall of Fame, All-Star, any competitions for awards involving defensive players, it's always more difficult to decide than it is with forwards because you just don't have the same statistical underpinning to make your decisions that you can use for offensive players, especially in this case because caused turnovers weren't even tracked until 2011, so you don't have that stat for the full career of any of this year's nominees. Therefore, it's really easy for offensive contributions by defensive players to play a big role when it comes down to a coin toss type decision. And you see that in the NHL and in all kinds of, of Hall of Fame discussions and all-star conversations where you're looking for the best defensive players. If somebody's contributing some offense, it tends to really get weighted quite heavily. And McCready and Toll both have offensive statistics as prolific transition players that may have swayed some voters who are having a hard time. And I think that's reasonable. I mean, if you're a great defender and you're adding offense, that obviously is going to contribute. Now, were McCready and Toll the best defenders 
compared to some of these other guys. I don't think many people would say they were as tough to play against as Ability Smith, for instance. But, I mean, I think they're both definitely worthy Hall of Fame inductees. So I don't want anything I've said to sound like I'm undermining their candidacy. I think they're great additions to the Hall of Fame. Um, I can assure you, as one of the voters for the Hall of Fame, the entire process was very difficult. But hey, if it was easy, it would hardly be worth even having a Hall of Fame. It should be difficult. That's what makes it so interesting, so much fun to be part of, and such a huge honor for those players who were elected. So a hearty congratulations to the 10 new inductees that will be going into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame this year. Uh, a great group, and we've got a lot more great players and builders on, on tap to be considered in the coming years. I think it's going to be very interesting, interesting to see what happens next year. What class size is inducted, how the process goes relative to this year. This year obviously done differently to make up, to create a large class to make up for not having inducted anyone in 2017, 18, 19, or 20. So will it be another large class next year? Uh, because you look, four years, you could have had up to 12 people nominated or inducted and nobody went in. Do you want to make up some more of that ground for players that have you know, not had the chance to get inducted, or do you go back to the way it was before? Five nominees, up to three get elected, and you just keep going with that, or will it be something new and different? My guess is, and I don't know, nobody has told us, I can assure you that as one of the electors, we don't know what's happening next year. We didn't hear before you did who was elected. We heard with the same announcement from the NLL that you did, who went in. So I have no inside knowledge of what will happen, but I would think there's going to be some new system. Um, not the same as this year, but not going back to the old system. I think the Hall of Fame committee, I know, has put a lot of work into this, into creating the system, into coming up with the nominees, and kudos to them for the work that they did on this process, and I can't wait to see what happens next year. There's plenty of time for that, though, down the road. For now, once again, a hearty congratulations to the 10 newly elected members of the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. All right, it's nice to welcome Dan Carey as the first guest on the relaunched Box of Beat. We're getting things rolling again, and uh, great to have you on, Dan. Great to be on. Thanks for having me, Stamper. You betcha. And uh, uh, we're going to talk largely about the Upstate Collegiate Box Across League, which is finally getting going. You know, you tried to start it last year. There are, just for anyone who's not familiar, the National Collegiate Box Series are four leagues now, five, I think. Uh, Colorado started in 2017, Ohio in 2018. Last year, Connecticut and Upstate both trying to launch, right? And neither able to run it because of the pandemic, but now you're good to go. And is there a capital region one in Albany? Is that part of the, the NCBS? Uh, I don't believe it is. I, I think okay. they're, um, I don't think they're officially affiliated, but I think at some point, um, you know, it, it might be something that we see. Right. That's kind of how, I think that's how Connecticut got going as well, right? That uh, Oliver Marty actually started that league up and then uh, kind of as a standalone league and then joined, if I'm not yep. mistaken, from talking to him. Yep. Yeah. So uh, off the hop, I want to start talking about when games start. I know you're basically in coming into trials, tryouts. Uh, when do the games start and how many teams are there do you expect this year for the Upstate League? 
So we we start our combine actually on the seventh, June seventh. Um, so all the players will will go through a combine. Uh, I do a bit of an evaluation, and um, we'll do a draft on the ninth, and then June fourteenth to July twenty eighth is the season. So you know it's it's not a long season, but I think you know with what we're gonna. Uh, provide to the players and, and have for practices and games, it's going to give them a great feel for, for, for true box across. So, uh, you know, for, for us and me being here in Rochester and be able to come and see these guys um, it's, it's a great resource for us, especially, you know, with our, with our, you know, current situation we find ourselves in with the pandemic, not being able to watch a lot of lacrosse. So it's great to see, you know, a lot of talented players, getting that exposure and that experience in box. Yeah. I wanted to go, do you know how many teams are going to be in the league or does it depend on the number of players who register? It depends, it depends on the number of players. Uh, right now we have three teams full, two in Raj, one in Buffalo. And I think they're trying to, trying to work to, to see if we can get that fourth team in Buffalo. But I think we're, we're kind of at that point. Uh, we have to have, have the numbers finalized because right. of the combine. But, um, you know, I, we, we do have, three teams at this point. And if we get to play with three teams, I think that's a great start. Um, knowing that, uh, we want to grow this thing. We want it to, you know, to, to be something that lasts a long time. We continue to, to develop players in this area. Um, so I think it's a great start, even if we have three teams. Yeah. And is there a nationals? I, I've, I've seen some of the video from last year's nationals with, I guess the, the Colorado and Ohio teams, um, is there a national championship or is that, down the road a bit more there is yeah it's in it's actually in california i think it's san jose um they've done that over the past few years right. um well, i'm looking forward to i'm hoping i can get out to that event because I've, I've heard it's just world class yeah. and uh i think it's august it's the first week or two in august i believe it's maybe the sixth to eighth so okay. uh, the, the champion from the ucbll will be will be playing uh, for a national championship in, in california in august nice and how did the league come about? Because obviously you as the GM of the Rochester Nighthawks, I should have probably mentioned that, you know, it started uh, really with, with the Nighthawks and Buffalo. Uh, I know Steve Dietrich, the GM of the, the Bandits. You guys are both very involved, but you've also got a lot of other people involved trying to get it going last year and it couldn't. I'm curious what got the ball rolling and how much of the prep that you did last year were you able to carry over and how much did you have to redo just because – the nature of the way everything is going with the pandemic. Well, this was actually something that uh, the bandits were trying to get off the ground before, you know, the Nighthawks, the new Nighthawks organization began. Mm -hmm. So you know, when we, I think it was the, the season before, or maybe when we first came in, they were considering it. Um, and it was, they were, they were looking for us to be a partner and work with them on it, considering our locations and, and, you know, we're, roughly an hour from each other. So great lacrosse markets, uh, youth markets in high school in Buffalo and Rochester. So felt it was, it was, you know, a good situation and um, a good approach to have both markets working together. And it was just too difficult to, to get something like this off the ground um, considering we were, you know, an expansion team and, and all the, everything that we had to go through to, to launch the team. So it just wasn't the right time. And then last year, with the pandemic, we just, you know, we weren't able to make it work. So it's been a couple of years where we've been working on this and I'll give credit to, to Dan Rustine in Buffalo works on the bandits and, and Scott Loeffler and then Craig Rosinski, Dan and Craig are the, you know, the, the lead on this. They've been 
uh, doing all the work and they've done a great job. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm kind of behind the scenes and, and here's a resource to help, but those guys are the ones that are putting the work in. And, and I think we're going to see something that we're, we're all excited about. I think it's going to be a great product. Um, but yeah, it's been a couple of years in the works. And finally, you know, finally getting to a point where we're able to get this thing off the ground. It is pretty exciting. I know, you know, both uh, Dan and Craig obviously putting a lot of work in and, and Ripper is a guy who's been involved with the Nighthawks for, for a couple of decades now doing so much work. And uh, he's the one I first talked to about this and I said, Hey, do you want, you know, he asked me about coming on the show and I said, absolutely, let's do it. And then he said, but uh, I'm going to have Dan do it. <laughs> so he's, he's doing a lot of the work, but wanted to put you out as the kind of the face of things uh, to, uh, or the voice of the, the things for you guys right now, but a ton of work that those guys, those guys put in, not just this year, obviously, but leading up to it. Well, we, I, if I had known that we need a recognizable face and voice, we should have used him because I think he's, uh, he's a lot more recognizable than I am, but um, no, he's been great to work with and, and he's doing a great job with this. So I'm just excited to, to, you know, to have these guys put the work in that they have and, and able to see, see this get to a point where, um, you know, we, I, we're certain this is going to be successful and, um, it's, it's not something that necessarily benefits us, um, outside of just growing the game here. You know, we're, we're a national cross league team and, and we feel it's important to give back to, you know, the community in ways that, that, you know, we're growing the, the sport of box across and, and we think it's a, um, such a great sport and we want other people to recognize that and realize it and have, have, you know, the ability to play. So, you know, I think this is something that we're, we're excited to see people get hooked into this game that we have been for, for a long time. And as you point out, I mean, it's not like you're doing this to, obviously one of the goals is to give players a chance to learn box across, to develop in it, to tap into the American market of, of players who are so athletic and, and so good at, at field lacrosse, but haven't necessarily had the opportunity to play. But it's not like you're just producing guys to play for Buffalo and Rochester. Obviously, the guys who are developed are going to be benefiting the the league the national lacrosse league as a whole and like you said just the sport of box lacrosse as a whole as a whole yeah absolutely it, you know it's it's good the more of these leagues there are the better off i believe we are as a league because we've just grown you know the the availability the players that are available for our draft you know primarily the players are coming from ontario and bc and then we've got you know there's a lot of incredible athlete lacrosse players in the U S um, that just haven't had the exposure to box across. And it's the way our league works. It's really hard to, um, to invest in those players and for the, for them to invest in us. And it's, you know, something that if they are exposed to, to a league like this and they they're taught the right way and they're playing the right, the, the right way, then it's, it's definitely going to be better for, for our league. Um, but on the flip side of that, it, it's, it's great for the players who still have eligibility for, for NCAA, whether it's a high school senior or, you know, freshman, whatever, the senior going or a player going into a senior collegiate year, they're going to be better for it, right? It's, it's a, it's a great way to train and you see the success that Canadian players have had in NCAA. Um, you know, you consider the amount of participants in youth lacrosse in Canada compared to the U S and then you look at 
how many, and I don't know the stats on this, but how many guys that have great success, you know, scoring goals and producing for their teams, um, you know, Canadians in, in, in the NCAA, it's, it's so translatable, right? There's so many uh, benefits to it. So I think, you know, players that are continuing to play, they're going to be better if they play in, in these leagues, you know, it's just different type of training and um, the skill set is a little bit different. It's lacrosse, you know, it, it's, it's still got a lot of the same tendencies, but just the way the game is played, it's definitely going to benefit these guys. And you're talking there, obviously, about the, the carryover of box back into the field game, which is a big kind of selling tool. I know always for coaches to get their players to play boxes, hey, it, it will help you. And I don't think you have to look very far. You're talking about the transferable skills. And you just go to the, the RIT overtime championship winning goal with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dawson Tate throwing from way behind the net out to Ryan Barnable. Um, mm-hmm. In, in traffic with players all around. There were two offensive and two defense, defensive players in very tight space. And I, I heard people saying, hey, how does he even make that pass? How does he catch that pass? And how does he put it in? And the clear answer is these are box across guys. These are guys, uh, Tate from Ottawa and Barnable. Uh, also, I think from Ottawa, but both of them, but uh, playing down in, uh, in, uh, in Whitby. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's pretty clear that it can make a difference in the field game as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we look at that play and, and what an exciting game, like so happy. I, I know Sean Wilkins very well. And, um, you know, there's a lot of alumni in our league that, that uh, I know we're pretty ecstatic about it. So great to see them finally win. Um, Coach Kuhn has done an amazing job there. So really excited for, for that group and that, that school, um, that program, everybody involved. And I don't know how many, there's 20 plus Canadians, I think, on that roster. And man, did they move the ball well. And, and just like you said, that play, uh, perfect example uh, of it. And I think, you know, I look at that play, I'm like, wow, like just that timing of it and the execution of it was, was fantastic. But it's, those guys have done that before, yeah. right? It, it's, not, it's not like it was a Hail Mary pass and all of a sudden they got lucky. They, they just, they've done that so many times. Um, from the amount of box across they played and and it's as, as great of a play as it was it, it's not it's a little bit more normal to them right because they're used to that so you know everybody watching that it, it is incredible and, and a great way to, to end the game and um, cap a, a season with a national championship but it, it's something that those guys will probably have done before and are used to so again that's a that's an example there's a lot of examples out there that you see players have the success um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to know that there's potentially going to be more of these guys that, that are able to, to make that kind of an every game occurrence. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, the instincts that they've done that before, that those are, are things that come pretty naturally, even though it's a challenging play, it's not audacious. It's, it's very much the kind of things you do when you have that box background and, you're going to develop those kind of instincts among these players in the upstate league and in the other national collegiate box leagues. And I'm curious when you think you see that starting to come to fruition in terms of collegiate players who are playing in the box leagues, developing those instincts to the point where they can come in and compete for national cross league jobs. Cause it isn't going to be overnight for anyone. I mean, but you are also getting kids who have been playing because there are younger leagues. You're going to have kids coming into here, these uh, collegiate leagues who have been playing for a while and 
they're going to come out and not be in the situation like you referred to earlier where you're a field player or a very new box player who's trying to get an NLL job and you go to camp and have, you know, eight practices or less to try and prove yourself. And it's, it's just a huge obstacle when you, when you haven't had that, that experience and develop the instincts. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's going to happen in, in one year, you know, one summer, one season that these guys play in. Cause again, it's not, you, you play junior A lacrosse in Ontario and you're, I think it's 20 games still, right. That yeah. these guys, these kids are playing. So it's a lot different than, than what these players will be exposed to, but it's, it's a start. Um, I think there's a lot of um, youth programming that that's happening now than, than there ever has been with, with youth box across in the U S I know um, Brad Gillies roots box across. There's a program here. I think there's, there's probably another, another one or two that they've, they started in the Rochester and you can probably look around the U U S especially the NL markets and you're going to see a lot of those. Um, so I think the exposure at a, at a really young age is going to be beneficial. Um, and I think the flip side of that is in Canada, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have field lacrosse at a young age. And, you know, when you get to high school, it's a bunch of box players playing field and it wasn't played the same way, but now it's a lot different. There's a lot of travel teams. So I think you're going to see, you know, cross border, you'll see a lot of that. The you know, players that are primary box across, they're going to play a lot of field in Canada and vice versa in the U.S. So, um, you know, I think it, it's not just a one-year thing that's going to benefit these guys. Uh, it's going to take some time, but I think even just that one year is a lot better than than nothing. If you if you do end up going from that season into a training camp, it's not as much of a shock. And some of these guys pick it up really quick, and there's there's very little. Look to Tom Schreiber, and he might be a, a bad example because of you know the talent that he is. But he, it was like it looked it looked easy for him. Right. But that's not the case for every, you know, world class NCAA player that uh, that didn't get much expo- exposure in box across. So I think, you know, each each player is going to be a little different, but I think any type of exposure is definitely beneficial. And and if they if they get in, let's say their freshman year in college and they play for four summers, then, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be in a good position. And I, I don't want to say it's all about, you know, playing in the NLL. I think that's a dream for for some people, but, um, you know, I think just becoming a better lacrosse player in general, I think, you know, for your school program for, you know, any professional league that's out there, whether it's the NLL or, or any field lacrosse, it's something that these guys um, are going to benefit from. Yeah. I think Tom Schreiber is somebody that does come up for everyone. And I always think it is a pretty bad example because he just made it look so easy. The transition, I actually think Karen McArdle, is probably a better example, a guy who came to The Rock with Tom Schreiber and struggled a bit. I mean, took a while to, to make that adaptation, as most people do and will, but has kept working at it and, you know, played very well for the United States at the World Championships. He's, uh, you know, established himself as definitely a guy who can compete for regular playing time in the NLL. It's just taken a bit. So that's probably more a realistic path, I would think. Yeah, and we've seen, like, so many... American players that that have had amazing success in the National Lacrosse League, right? I think mean, there's some that are, um, you know, look at Reggie Thorpe, and you look at uh, there's the list goes on and on. I, I think there's a lot of players, you know, Casey Powell. I think it took Casey a little bit of time, but you know, man, was he good? And you know, look Ryan Boyle and, and just names that are coming, you know, to 
to mind here, there's been a lot of players that have had success, but then you look at some two, three, maybe even four time all Americans that, that, you know, didn't pan out and didn't have the success that they maybe thought or whoever the team drafted them thought they'd have. So it's, it's hard. Like we've, we've drafted players or I've drafted players and, and know that, you know, they don't have a ton of experience and you see them in training camp and they're just they're not there and you just don't know how long it's going to take. So risk reward, sometimes you have to, to move on and, and, you know, go with the player that you think is, is going to be ready sooner. But um, I think it just gives these, these players an opportunity to get there quicker. Um, and, you know, we, we all want to see our game at the best it possibly can, the, the highest level of, of talent and competition. That's going to open this up, right? If you have more players that, that are exposed to this, it's definitely going to, to make our league better. One thing I'm curious about is how many lefties there are um, coming to play, the, the collegiate guys coming to play. Because I remember talking to Steve Govett about this a few years ago, and he was saying, you know, his son Jake, who is in the NCBS, um, would go to camps when they were, you know, when he was a youngster and be the only lefty at some of the, the clinics and camps because most of the, the U.S. players seem to naturally shoot right. And, yeah. Uh, are there a lot of lefties coming out? I I haven't seen the list of positions and, and you know players at this point. Again, that's Craig and Dan are, are kind of taking the lead on all that stuff. So I honestly don't know. Um, from what I heard, we have enough goalies. That's the main thing, and then I think they have everything else you try and try and work through. But um, yeah, I, I I'm hoping there's some balance there, but I don't know what what that will be. Lefties that will be playing this this league. Well, we'll check back in later and see how the how the balance is because it, it, it's certainly something interesting. I think to keep an eye on. The yeah. other thing, yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask about is the uh, the coaches because I've seen the list and, and when I first talked to Ripper and he started telling me who some of the coaches were, I was like, wow, that's a that's a good group and it's a bunch of the Bandits and, and Nighthawks players, but also a bunch of guys like I mean, Brad Voigt is a guy that that stands out to me and um, um, I think isn't. Um, you all give me an idea of who some of the coaches are. Cause there's a, there's a good group of people to lead these players. And I might miss one off the top of my head. So hopefully uh, they don't uh, take any offense to it, but you know, Zed Williams, Dan Coates, Ron Cogan, Ethan O'Connor. Um, we have Jordan Jarvis here locally. And then yeah, Brad um, boy, we had him, you know, we drafted him a few years ago and um, I like he's a player that could, could you know I think he understands the game over the last couple of years a lot more than he initially did and um you know he's had some some box across exposure and coaching in the past but um you know I think the group that we have is is tremendous in in ways that they know this game they know you know the the important aspects of it to teach and where to start so you know to have like Dan Coates you know he's played on ton of world championship teams and, and captain national cross league he could you know he could coach you know pretty much anybody at, at this point um and zed williams you know what he's done in, in the sport of lacrosse so i think that you know you go down the list there's a lot of great minds that are going to to help these players develop and you know i think again that's a big part of it, it it's not just hey we're gonna you know create a box across league and and then 
we're going to hope that you guys learn it kind of on your own. It, it, the big part of it's teaching and, and having that interaction with guys that have, have seen it, have done it, um, have been a part of it and just, you know, get a really good understanding of the game. Ron Kogan's one that the other, another guy that to me, I just remember being down in Onondaga for the 2015 world championships. And uh, Ron was there with, uh, I think he had his son out on the floor when nobody else is around. They're just kind of setting things up and he's out with his, with his kid. And, and he just, he treats him the same as he treats all the players. He's just teaching, 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 and not necessarily a name that as many people know as some of the NLL players, but to me, it's just speaking to the depth of the the quality of the individuals you've got teaching. Because I mean, Dan Coates obviously is great. I uh, saw Ethan O'Connor doing an ad right the other day, and uh, some of these guys. But I think uh, I think guys like Kogan who have lived the game as well and are very local and have been for a long time. I think it's cool to see them involved too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you know, Jordan Jarvis played box across at West. Um, you know, I, Ron Kogan played. I think he played some games with the, the old Nighthawks organization and has played, has been a part of the, you know, the Iroquois nationals for, for a long time. I actually met him at Herkimer. Uh, I was uh, my first year, my freshman year there. And he was, he was a coach with us. He was there the year before and got to know him a little bit there. So I uh, ran into him a couple, couple summers ago with the junior Nighthawks and um, he just loves the game of lacrosse. He's invested in it. He's, he's spent a lot of time on it and understands it. So, he uh, he's just a, a great person to have involved because he cares a lot about the sport. It means a lot to him, and and I think he's that's going to come out right when you're mm-hmm. around these guys. They're going to get an understanding of that pretty quickly. One thing I had heard about a little from from some folks in Canada was that there were some Canadian players, Canadian uh, student athletes who are at NCAA schools who were thinking because it's been so unclear what's going to happen north of the border and uh, it's, we're starting to get a sense of what some of the leagues are going to be able to do but I've heard that some of the guys were just going to stay in the U.S. and play in the in the collegiate box series have you heard anything about that or familiar with any of the guys who might be doing that um I, I again I'd have to talk with with Craig or Ripper about the about the list and who's who's signed up um who's registered but you know, I, you know, we've, we've promoted this. We've tried to talk to as many, you know, NCAA coaches that are within the local area here, high school. Um, you know, there is a lot of Canadians that, that are either, you know, close to this area or, um, you know, playing or, or coming back to this area after their NCAA season. But I don't know the number if any Canadians um, at this point, um, but it, I think it'd be great for them. I think, just having that, having a player that has grown up is just, I think players can benefit just as much as a coach, right? When you have a guy that's next to you on the bench that can kind of walk you through things and, and the interaction between players, between shifts is, is a very valuable tool and way to learn. So um, I'm not sure what the number is, if any, but it would be great to have these guys, you know, any Canadians that, that would be willing and wanting to play. Um, I think it would elevate our league. Yeah, I think it's, and I think the whole concept is, is pretty cool and it's, it's exciting to see. It's fun to, to uh, know that these guys are getting the chance to play. And uh, is there anything else about the league itself that, that really stands out to you that we haven't gotten to that you'd like to just talk about? 
Um, no, not really. I think we've covered a lot of it. I, I, again, this is something that we're, we're spending time on because we think it's important. And, you know, there's, there's obviously, um, you know, a lot that goes into it, but I know it's a, it's an investment on the players part as well. So we're fortunate that there's been enough players that have interest because, you know, if, if players aren't interested in this, then we won't, we won't have a league because it's not necessarily, you know, the primary part of our business, but it, we think it's important enough to, to spend time and some of our resources on this because, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's important for our market, um, but it's also important for, for the Nighthawks and the NLL to, to see players, to be able to you know, watch them develop, to make our, our league and the value and the quality of our, of our players and our talent. So it's uh, yeah, I think we've covered covered a lot, and you know we're we're excited to get this thing off and running. I'd like to just touch briefly to wrap up on, as you said, the primary part of your business, which is your uh, the Rochester Nighthawks, your NLL team, and obviously signings starting to happen. The official off season underway, and very busy. I know signing folks. You signed Ryan Smith. You signed uh, Turner Evans, and there's got to be a lot going on with the. Just to clarify for everyone, because my understanding is with the 2021 season not able to happen, that season still did count as a year of contracts. So if 2021 was the last year of a player's contract, it would say the second of a two-year contract or third or three-year, that contract did expire. So all of a sudden you've got guys that you weren't deal, able to deal with that because of the season and it's all the uncertainty, and all of a sudden there's a lot of guys who are free agents this year, right? Yeah, and I think it's it's like any year, right? If you if a player was signed through the through the twenty twenty one season yeah. at the end of that year, um, it's basically the same as it would be if we hadn't played. Um, so that's the way I guess to look at it is the player was signed, you know, through twenty one twenty two, then they'll remain signed, and players that uh, that were signed for for this season that we didn't have, um, it would have been the same as as going into the off season. So. Right. Uh, you know, it's not like we're going to push push all the contracts to a uh, future year. So it's yeah. it doesn't really change much. We all have to go through this process one way or the other. Um, you know, whether we played or not, but it's yeah, it's a big part of the job. And um, you know, we uh, it's it's kind of nice to to start to you know we've we've tried to communicate with our players as much as we can, but it's you can only say so much and make sure you know, they're, they're safe and they're healthy. And, you know, if they need anything from us, they know they, they can reach out, but it's kind of like, Hey, we're waiting for, for some type of clarity on things that we have to work through as a league and trying to, trying to figure out. So it's been nice to like have the conversations that um, are somewhat meaningful with the players and get back to, it seems normal. Now you're, you're, you know, continuing the discussions and signing players and, and trying to, to get to that point where, where we're heading into the season. So it's good. It finally feels a little bit normal. Yeah. And stuff happening. It's just so nice. Everyone I talked to, I know you and I talked a while ago about or texted about the uh, series I'm doing on IL indoor about some of the best uh, penalty kill raggers. And uh, I talked to so many guys for that and everyone was so excited to get to talk about lacrosse again instead yeah. of pandemic stuff, whatever. And it's just fun. And now, you know, Hall of Fame being announced and yeah. there, there'll be an expansion draft coming fairly soon. And so much stuff that's actually happening. It feels like we're getting there. And, and I don't know, it's, it's so much fun to be 
getting close to real lacrosse stuff again. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I actually read that did a great job with that. And um, it's, it's funny to look back and, and, you know, some of the comments, I think Batley mentioned about Steinhaus and, and then I, I like, I was on that junior team and the one game he was right. Like we, I think he scored three or four shorthanded goals on us. And then we sat back and we ended up beating them. It might've been the year that they, they first won the Minto or the year before that. But uh, he was kind of like, he came out of nowhere because he played it. He started at an older age, but man, was he good at it. And then yeah. Dawson and, and junior and those guys, it was, I think it was a fun part of the game. It was just cool to, to, to read all that. And, and there's times where you don't really, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time, thinking or reminiscing about about the the playing days but it was fun to to kind of think about it again and um you know watching a lot of field across lately which which has been great um but kind of missed the box game and yeah i think guys will get excited to start talking lacrosse again for sure yeah and one of the strange things i'm used to you know as the summer gets going we'd be Right now, you know, junior would be going, MSL would be getting underway. And I'm used to running into you and um, so many guys just at the rink. And we get to just hang out and talk and talk about the players we just saw play. And it's uh, it's so weird not to get to do that. So it's really nice. Like, this is a lot of fun just getting to talk to you again. I mean, we, we have talked over the time that, that uh, the season hasn't wasn't being able to go. I mean, we chat now and then. But to be able to talk about stuff knowing that, things are really happening. It's mm-hmm. getting back to it. Right. And hopefully we'll be back in a ring soon seeing each other. Oh man. I, I would love uh, We'll I'll once the border, you know, kind of opens up, I'm going to get back to Peterborough and I think I'm just going to walk through the Memorial center just to, <laughs> just to, just to kind of like the smell of an arena and the feel of it and everything. I, I think we all miss it. So um, I even walk through Brooklyn too. And just, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I just want to see what the Memorial Center looks like now with the new boards and the floor redone. I mean, we haven't even had a chance to see it since the the renovations, really. So yeah, that's right. It's yeah. just so weird to think about that how that was affecting the the senior Lakers and the junior Lakers yeah. um, two years ago when they had to had to move to the uh, to the Evan Road. So yeah, so no, many, right. yeah, so many little elements of this thing that are that are affecting us. So uh, yeah, no, it'll be nice. We're getting close. You know, again, I think there's some things that are starting to feel normal again. And I know not for everybody. So want to be, you know, respectful of, yeah. of everybody's situation. But I think on the lacrosse front, there's there's definitely, you know, we're, we're trying the right direction. And I think the excitement is, is going to be good for our sport, right? It, you never want to see anybody go through what we had to go through, but it'll be, it'll be nice when we get to that point and, you're able to get back to summer lacrosse and the NLL, um, just seeing people and the game itself. It's, it's definitely something we're all looking forward to. And of course, very soon the upstate collegiate box lacrosse league getting underway. So uh, Dan, always great to chat. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to again, seeing you in person uh, in the near future. Yeah. I appreciate the time and Thanks for, uh, you know, I think this is something that we're, we're pretty proud of and excited about, so I appreciate the exposure. Well, 
All right, that will just about wrap things up for this first episode back of Box La Beat. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host. Thank you so much to Dan Carey and to you, lacrosse friends, for being here with me. It is great to be back. I'm very excited to be part of the Lacrosse Link family. Go to lacrosselink.com for the video show, for weekly Box La Beat episodes, and so much more covering the entire world of lacrosse. I do also want to send a special thank you out to Scotty Comer, a lot of you know him as a very good and very fun goaltender, but he was also a great music producer and musician, and our theme music comes from his band, Love You To Death. When I was starting the show, I asked Scotty if I could use something from Love You To Death or if he could produce something that I could use as a theme, and he went above and beyond, got a great clip that uh, I think grabs the energy of the game of lacrosse, and I love it as the intro and the bridge for Boxle Beat. So thanks once again, and always, to Scotty Comer, and of course to you lacrosse friends for being here. We'll see you next week.